0: The Woj Pod is brought to you by Goodyear. Celebrating March deal days with month-long service and savings, visit GoodyearAutoService.com for offers. Hey everyone, welcome into another edition of The WojPod. Here with Tim Bontemps, ESPN's NBA writer. Just a week now ahead of Thursday, next Thursday's NBA trade deadline. Tim, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, Adrian. I, I saw you on the the computer this morning. I think it's the first time I saw you since the last time I was on the pod with you at the All Star Game in Chicago, which feels like about 17 years ago at this point. It's pretty crazy.
0: Yeah, it sure is. Yeah, it has been. Uh, it has been a while, and and hopefully we'll all start to see each other in real time here uh, sooner than later. But uh, Tim, the the trade deadline now. Within a week, uh, we had two deals yesterday. I, I wanted to start with those before we start looking ahead. Let's take them in order as we reported them yesterday. Trevor Ariza coming out of exile in Oklahoma City uh, to go to the Heat. Uh, really a perfect Miami Heat player, You know, big wing, two-way player. Now, Ariza hasn't played since prior to the bubble. He was an opt-out in the bubble with Portland, Uh, He played very well for the Blazers in 20 or so games after he came over in that trade from the Kings. And, you know, the Blazers missed him in that bubble. That was when when they got up against, you know, the big wings, you know, obviously LeBron and having to play them in the playoffs. They certainly on the defensive end uh, missed him. That was a big part of, of why they brought him in. It's certainly a big part of now why he goes to Miami. It's funny, Sam Presti in Oklahoma City, I'm not sure he's ever done a, Contract buyout. He doesn't like to do them. And, you know, you look back a couple of years ago when everyone thought, well, he's going to have to do one with Carmelo Anthony or they're not going to be able to get the contract off. He found a way to move him to Atlanta in the Dennis Schroeder deal with a pick, and Atlanta waived him at, at that time. And he did it again with Ariza, you know, essentially gets a second round pick. Thunder get two 2027 picks both last week at second round picks, one from Detroit in the Diallo trade. Now they get one from from the Heat. And and so now you plug Areza into that Heat rotation. And uh, you know they played very well as of late and he's a Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra kind of guy. What how do you think he helps them? And you know what what's the impact for Ariza in Miami?
1: Well, you you make a good point about Ariza getting out of Oklahoma City, Adrian. When you talk to executives around the league over the past few weeks, the consistent word out out of Oklahoma City was that they were not going to buy Trevor Ariza out, right? Like you said, going back to Carmelo, back situations in the past, Sam Presti does not believe in that. He believes, as we've seen over the past year, in maximizing any potential return he can get, even if it is a second-round pick seven years from now. So it made sense to me that they were able to get a deal done with Miami, and I think Trevor can have a big impact for the Heat. Now, like you said, he hasn't played in a year. No, he's been working out, but we have to see how he looks as a you know guy in his mid-30s who hasn't played in a year. But in theory, he should be able to give the Heat a real boost as a stretch four who can guard on the wing and stretch the defense out to beyond the three-point line. You know, Miami, although they've played better lately, they've really missed Jay Crowder. You know, in the being in the bubble uh, as you were for the playoffs. His impact on that Heat team was enormous. He hit a ton of threes for them. He was a really solid two-way player. Could guard some of those bigger wings. Would allow them to play Bam Adebayo at center and kind of optimize their lineups. And you know, Mo Harkless hasn't worked replacing him this year. They haven't really found a consistent guy to play that spot. They've tried to force Kelly Olynyk into it, but he's more of a you know a four-five as opposed to a stretch four um, who can guard wings. So. You know, if Ariza can come back and be anything like the guy that he was in Portland, like you said, when he shot forty percent from three in twenty games before the bubble, um, he would be a real big boost to this Heat team. That, as you said, is rolling now and looks like a team that could make a real run in the East.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And and I I don't think Miami's done. They they've been very active on some other fronts. Uh, You know, they've talked with San Antonio on Lamarcus Aldridge. We'll see if there's a deal to be made there, or maybe they pursue Aldridge in the buyout market. Uh, later, uh, but Miami's a team that, on a lot of fronts, I, I think they'd still like to improve themselves. And Kelly Olynyk's a name uh, I think's been involved in trade talks. You mentioned Mo Harkless; that just hasn't worked out this year for for him going down there on on a one-year deal. And you know, Dragic is in. You know, he did another one-year deal last year. Uh, so we'll see what they do with that roster here. And then Miami had been very involved with PJ Tucker. He now heads to Milwaukee. I think he really helps that team. A motivated P.J. Tucker coming in in a contract year. Listen, what he does and the value P.J. Tucker has is on a winning team. Given the straits that the Rockets are in, listen, he, he has struggled this year. He's not looked like himself, but I think Milwaukee, and I think rightly so, is banking on the idea that, coming into that environment on a contending team with that group. He's just going to, you can just imagine him getting in uniform, diving all over the floor, you know, guarding, you know, multiple positions, going back and hitting, you know, being able to hit that corner three uh, for that team. Uh, John Horse, their GM, really uh, had been one of the teams, along with Miami, uh, the Lakers. Uh, Brooklyn had interest for a while with Tucker. I think that that faded a bit uh, as they once they picked up Blake Griffin and and looked at what else might be out there for them but you know that deal gets done because they owed you know there were some picks going back they adjusted the what was owed to each other and then DJ Wilson DJ Augustine go to Houston who you know could have three first round picks in a very very good 2021 draft that'll be important for them but Uh, But, yeah, I think for John Horst and Mike Budenholzer, uh, getting P.J. Tucker into Milwaukee as they start to, you know, they struggled for, you know, they've had some difficult stretches this season, but all of a sudden you look up, uh, you know, they win without Embiid on the floor in Philly on Wednesday night, and now they're just a couple of games behind first place, out of first in the East, right, still on the Nets and Sixers' tails. And Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think all in all, Milwaukee's in good shape, and now Tucker comes in and uh, again, a player who was pretty coveted as a role player in this marketplace. Um, I think a really terrific pickup for John Horst.
1: Yeah, it's going to be really interesting, Adrian, to see how he looks in Milwaukee. Because as you mentioned, he was terrible when he was on the court for the Rockets. And talking to a bunch of people last night around the league, kind of gauging what they think Tucker's going to do. You have some people who think this guy is a 35, soon to be 36-year-old guy who doesn't really have it at this point. And then you talk to other people who have the same viewpoint as you, that this is a guy who's playing on a Rockets team that has now lost 18 in a row after last night, was clearly not going anywhere. James Harden had been traded. The, the whole organization is in flux. And this is a veteran guy who wants to win, um, who is hoping to get another contract this summer and is going to be motivated to come in and play much better for the Bucs. And I think for the price that Milwaukee ultimately gave up, which really wasn't much. They got off of DJ Augustine's mm-hmm. contract for next year. When And DJ, I didn't really like the signing in the fall for the fact that I didn't think he was a guy who would hold up in the playoffs. And now they get a guy in P.J. Tucker who very much is capable of doing that and has proven it time and again in the past if he can get back to the level he was at before. And like you said, they they made kind of a creative move to swap these future first round picks. And with the pick swap this year, with Milwaukee getting Houston's second round pick, even if they... I mean, they're going to make that swap. Nothing the 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 Bucks are going to be one of the best teams in the league. They're only going to have to move a few spots back in the draft to basically get off of Augustin's money for next season. So in a lot of ways, it's almost a free look for them at Tucker and for that price, for what he's capable of doing for that team, in particular, allowing them to play small with either him or Giannis at center and give them a switching look on defense that they really were not able to do with their current group before making this trade. I think it does raise their ceiling if he can get back to the player he was before. And again, for the price, I I think it's a no brainer for them to take a swing on it and hope that he can come in and give them some of that same toughness and energy and three point shooting that he's been so successful at for Houston the past several years.
0: That's right. And I, I think that it was interesting Houston out in the marketplace, you know, they had tried to get a young like a good young rotational player in a deal for, Ah, uh, Tucker, they they couldn't get that. They tried to get it from Milwaukee, from Brooklyn, from the Lakers, Miami, and uh, you know thirty five, like you said, almost soon to be thirty six year old rental. Um, nobody's given that up. But I think in the end, you know, what they were able to do with the picks and at least you know DJ. Wilson's still a young player to see if there's anything to salvage there in his career. And Augustine, again, like you said, Milwaukee gets the money off. and but certainly the picks, I think for as Houston starts to look forward, right now and where they are like the picks are what uh, are most important for them. um But I, listen, I think there's going to be, it's going to be an interesting week. I don't think, well, I'm, I'm pretty confident there's not going to be that knockout big star all of a sudden available in the marketplace. I mean, the names we can go through, you know, Victor Oladipo and Aaron Gordon, Lonzo ball, uh, John Collins, I think, Is unlikely to leave Atlanta. I I just don't think they can find value on a rookie contract for him. They're six and oh since Nate McMillan took over as head coach. Uh, I think they can figure out John Collins's future. I know they don't want to. You know, there was a limit they were willing to go in negotiations around ninety million uh, on an extension. He'll be restricted free agent. Um, You know, they can figure that out after the season. You know, obviously Kyle Lowry is going to be an interest I think both Kyle Lowry and Norm Powell are interesting both are going to be free agents in Toronto. Uh, those are interesting situations for the Raptors moving forward. Where do you want to start Tim, on the, the trade deadline and, and and how this thing how this thing's going to take shape here in the next few days?
1: Well, I think you're right in that. In talking to everybody around the league over the past few weeks, it, you know the the general expectation is that for a bunch of reasons, there's probably not going to be a ton of movement. You have the play-in tournament in both conferences, which has an extra couple teams that get you know quote unquote into the playoffs or think they have a shot at making the playoffs, which has limited some of the seller market. You have a lot of these teams at the top, teams like Milwaukee, the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nets, that are either hard capped or uh, don't have any picks to trade or both. Um, and you know, in general, I, I think it's just, we're not going to see a ton of movement, but the team that I'm most interested in over the next week is Toronto. And it's because of Kyle Lowry and Norm Powell, like you said, you know, the Raptors obviously have been devastated by, uh, some COVID absences over the past couple of weeks. They just had a tough loss last night to Detroit. I think they've lost six in a row. Um, despite getting Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam back, they should have OGN and Obi back soon, but you know, this team from the very beginning of the season has been all over the place. They've had injuries. They've had guys in the lineup. They lost a bunch of close games. Um, they've clawed their way back from a two and eight start, but they're now in the 11th place in the Eastern Conference. And you mentioned it with both Kyle and Norm being free agents that could have pretty good markets this summer. Um, you know, I think it will be really interesting to see what Masai Ujiri does over the next week, because if he decides to um, make moves with those guys and put them on the market, in a marketplace, there are not a lot of good players available. Those are two of the best guys that could get on the market. And if they are if they are moved somewhere, that could allow not only some good team to really get a significant boost before the deadline, could also allow Toronto to do a quick pivot and get a bunch of assets to kind of supplement their core of guys who were signed going forward in Pascal Siakam, Fred VanVleet, and OG Ananobi.
0: That's right. And I, I think – and listen, they have taken – uh, they've taken some hits with COVID, and at a time where I think they thought they were getting well, they could run off some wins and uh, you know make you know make a move in the East. They haven't been able to do it. Another factor that I know is on Masai's mind and Bobby Webster and their front offices. I think in a normal year, because of the kind of home court advantage you have in Toronto in the playoffs, we've seen it. It's one of the great environments. Uh, listen, this isn't college basketball, and but I, I do think that that environment in Toronto has has been a benefit for them. They feel it, and not having that in the postseason, I also think, I think it impacts. I don't know what the percentage is, but it impacts their thinking too. Even if they have fans in Tampa, obviously it's not the same, and, no. and so I think some of the teams that they thought you know we could be competitive with in the playoffs that we would. Um, you know, that, that they would feel like, hey, we can make another run at this with this group. Uh, they won't have that. And one thing I know with Kyle Lowry and how they're going to handle that, how they are handling that is they're not going to send him somewhere. They're not going to send him somewhere that you'd consider an outpost, a lottery team for the rest of the year and a place where his bird rights for him aren't going to matter because he probably wouldn't want to stay there. What he's done for the Raptors and helping them win a championship and a player who, you know, will be remembered as one of their all-time greats. I, I know Masai's not going to send him somewhere he really doesn't want to go. They're going to work no. with him and Mark Barrelstein, his agent. And so we'll see. I mean, listen, Philly, it makes sense in a lot of ways. It's home for him, you know, chance to go, you know, where he grew up, where he played his college ball. But we're not there yet, like, and so – that's gonna be one to watch certainly. Uh Aaron Gordon in Orlando, Orlando's talking. You know, there's certainly a number of teams that have interest in him. And you know, I think Orlando will tell you. They'll like they go back and forth on what on the direction here that they might want to move in. Ultimately, it's gonna be it's gonna hinge on what somebody offers, probably at the trade deadline, an hour or two before, and you see what all your best offers are, and you say, Are any of them worth uh, worth doing. And so, you know, Evan Fournier is another player there who's at the end of his contract. And so those are some decisions uh, the Magic has to make. And uh, Cleveland with Andre Drummond, I know every the expectation of most people is it ends up in a buyout, that a trade at his salary is too difficult. I, I do think there's a couple things on the board, possibly maybe in three-way situations where they can get enough salaries moved around ultimately all Cleveland's really going to try to get out of this is what they put into it last year when they traded him from Detroit. If they can get a second round pick for him and not have to do the buyout and get some value back for him, I think they'll do it. I, I just think the question is it's just going to be hard at his salary, Tim. And and then um, you know if he decides he wants to go in the buyout market, uh, certainly Lakers, Nets uh, are at the top of the list for him there.
1: Yeah, absolutely, and I think to go back a bit, you know, to me the two interesting guys beyond the Raptors guys are Aaron Gordon and Harrison Barnes in Sacramento. Um, In that you look around the league, and whether it's Boston or Miami, even after Ariza, um, you know, these good teams are looking for combo forwards who can guard people and shoot threes, right? That's kind of that's kind of the the unicorn player that every team is looking for. You saw Robert Covington go for two first round picks. Uh, to Portland before the season, you saw the Sarisa trade. Uh, you know, Jay Crowder goes to Phoenix, and look at the impact he's had there. Those are the kind of guys, the, the bigger guys that can guard the LeBron Jameses, the Kawhi Leonard's, the Kevin Durant's, those you know, the Giannis Antetokounmpo's, those guys on the wing, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. Um, it, you need people to guard those kind of guys in the playoffs, and that's why with Gordon and Barnes in particular, I'm very curious to see if they get moved and if they do, where they go because those are the kind of guys that that good teams are looking to add that could have an outsized impact in the playoffs. And as far as Drummond goes, you look at guys like him and Otto Porter and LaMarcus Aldridge, one of the consequences of the CBA changes over the past few years is that contracts have gotten shorter. And because of that, we don't see a lot of bloated contracts floating around the league like we used to, deals that teams were trying to get off to save money or to clear cap space or stuff in the future, right? So a lot of times you'd see a big expiring contract like that of Drummond or Porter or Aldridge or one of these guys. And you'd think, Hey, this team could use that contract as a vehicle to, you know, maybe get a pick and take on some money. And because of where the league is at right now, those opportunities aren't there. And so for a guy like Drummond, that probably is going to lead to him being bought out. And as opposed to him, you know, maybe getting traded somewhere and having an impact that way instead. Yeah.
0: The the economics have changed how, Trade deadline works. There's no question about it. You don't have that chase. Uh, There used to be just a chase for getting off longer term money for expiring. So that had great value. And the shorter deals has impacted that. You can now stream the most MLB games on DirecTV without a satellite dish. Yes, catch the clutch hits, strikeouts, grand slams, web gems with nothing on your roof. So whoever's up there, whether it's roofers, Santa, birds, old-timey chimney sweeps, moody teenagers, thrill-seeking raccoons, you name it, they won't find a satellite dish. But you will find your MLB games on DirecTV. That means DirecTV is your home for baseball this season. Root, root, root with nothing on your roof. Yes, stream your team. Call one 800 directv tv or visit directtv.com. Sign up today. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Victor Oladipo in Houston is another one that's going to be really interesting. I just think there's a lot of uncertainty, I think on the Rocket side, I think on Victor's side, and then around the league about what exactly his value is around the league right now, what kind of financial commitment and in, in how many years someone would commit to him, either in free agency or getting him in a trade and then signing him. Hasn't played a lot this year. Looked great the other night. Really probably played his best game of the season on Tuesday night, I think. And so Monday or Tuesday. And so um, I think Victor's situation is going to be interesting. Obviously came over from the Pacers as part of the big Harden trade. And, you know, I think we, we reported that they had offered him the max of what they can offer him during the season in Houston. Two years, $45 million. That went by the boards. He turned that down. He has wanted a longer term deal. Uh, there somewhere else, but I think he's going to be uh, prominent in conversations uh, this week. And listen, I think there's a lot of teams who have interest in Victor. The question is going to be at what price.
1: Yeah, no question. I mean, look, he he just frankly has not been very good in Houston. I mean, he's shooting 30, he's under 40 percent from the field. He's shooting 31 percent from three. And again, that is a chaotic situation in Houston. And you know, you could chalk some of it up to that obviously getting traded in the middle of the season, trying to adjust to a new team. Christian Wood has been out. I don't know if he's even played. He's maybe played one or two games with him, but um, hasn't spent a lot of time with obviously the best player on that team. And, you know, look, I I think if a team could take a flyer on him for a low price and get him into their system for a couple of months and see how he looks and maybe gauge whether they want to pay him in the off season, I think that makes a lot of sense. I think if it ends up being a higher price than, kind of taking a flyer on him. I think a lot of teams are going to be reticent just from the simple fact that he has not looked like the player he was before. And, you know, there, there hasn't been a lot of evidence combined with him being a free agent that you would want to pay a heavy price to bring him in because, you know, if he plays anywhere like he's been in Houston, he's not going to be a guy that's going to make a huge difference on a playoff team. So that becomes a difficult balance for them in terms of trying to get a deal done because I'm sure they think they should be able to get Decent value for Victor, given his potential, but the way he's played there, and coupled with his free agency, I, I think does take a bit of a hit in terms of trying to get, you know, real value for him in the trade market over the next week.
0: Yeah, and you you said something at the beginning, Tim, about you know the buyers and the sellers in this marketplace, and there's such a congestion of games here since the start of the second half, and I think teams in the league thought, you know, people would start to separate. They would start to separate into those groups uh, closer to the deadline. And the play-in tournament has complicated it a little bit because there's more teams, you know, who have a chance to, quote unquote, play in postseason. If you want to count the play-in, you know, if you're the 10th seed and you get in and you lose in one game, can you sell it to your owner that you played postseason basketball? I guess, maybe. Uh, I guess it depends kind of where your organization stands. Some places that would be. Seen as, hey, we we stepped up uh, from the bottom of the lottery and did that, or some team is a disappointment, and they just hold on and get to it. their their owner might see it differently. <laughs> I had a GM say something pretty funny to me the other day. He said, if you can't figure out who the sellers are, it's probably you. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, you know, teams are just because uh, I think you may see some teams who traditionally might have been sellers become buyers. And, you know, all of a sudden, You know, coming into the season, was Charlotte a team that we thought, yeah, maybe they could compete for the eighth spot. Now, all of a sudden, you know, they're fighting for a first round series at home. They're neck and neck with the Celtics. I know Gordon Hayward didn't expect that when he left for Charlotte, (laughs) that that I think he made a decision. I'm leaving. Now, in Boston, it looks very different with Gordon Hayward uh, versus losing him off of that roster. And so uh, that'll be interesting how that impacts it in both. Know the east and the west, and Oklahoma City has got you know a number of guys who you know they're going to be able to either now or after the season move on from. I mean, George Hill, Kenrick Williams, Mike Muscala, Justin Jackson. I know they're getting calls on all of those guys. George Hill has some money next year. Uh, Muscala, good shooting forward. So, and and Williams has been he's been a good player there, came from New Orleans in uh, the offseason. So, uh, the Thunder have been um. You know, they were obviously active with the uh, uh, Trevor Reza deal. And I think they're going to probably move at least one of those guys on here in the next week. And so a lot of stuff around the edges. Spencer Dinwiddie in Brooklyn. Uh, there's teams who'd like to get in His bird rights. So you, he's out for the season, obviously, with the knee injury. But you you trade for him now and and then you can re-sign him. You know, you might be a team without space uh, or a team who just thinks, um, you know, we'll use having his bird rights uh, to sign him to a longer-term deal in the offseason. I still think you could see the Nets get something for him uh, before the trade deadline next week.
1: Yeah, and I, I am curious to see what the Nets do with Spencer because, you know, obviously with the moves they've made this year, they're clearly going for him, right? This is not a team that's uh, kind of doing anything by half measures at this point. And while Spencer's a really good player and obviously is a guy they could potentially bring back and a part of that team going forward, If they could add a piece that could help them this year, especially if it's a guy who can help them on the defensive end of the court, um, I think they have to look at doing that because with the way that James Harden is playing. I mean, he's been probably the best player in the league since getting to Brooklyn. He's been incredible. And, you know, once they get Kevin Durant back with him and Kyrie and, and Harden and the group that they're putting together there, you know, they have every reason to think they can compete for a title. And if you can take a guy who is not playing and turn him into somebody that can play for you right now, I think you have to look long and hard at it, and you know I'm sure Sean Marks and and their front office in Brooklyn will be doing everything they can to try to get better between now and the deadline. And like you said, with guys like Andre Drummond, I'm sure they'll be very active in the buyout market as well.
0: Yeah, Drummond. If you know Drummond's there, I think certainly I think there's one more piece, and and I think Drummond has more value to the Lakers right now. I think he goes he goes to the Lakers. He's starting at center for them. Not sure about that in Brooklyn, maybe. But but he's. Uh, you know you still have DeAndre Jordan there and Blake Griffin. Once he gets healthy, playing some small ball center, uh, but certainly there's great interest in him. There will be great interest with him there, and 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 also of course, the Lakers. Lakers are interesting because I think the Lakers are looking a little bit down the road to it. Their salary structure. Dennis Schroeder, they've got to pay him um, this off season. It's going to cost well over twenty million dollars a year to keep him. Alex Caruso. They're going to want to pay and keep him. Who am I missing there that they've got well, to pay next year?
1: They they've got uh, they've also got to deal with uh, the restricted free agency of uh, Talon Horton Tucker, their second yes, round pick yes, from last yes, year, who's yep. been very impressive and could yep. be quite good. He's going to be a starter for them, and so uh, you've got
0: the money going forward on Kyle Kuzma, uh, KCP, and that'll be interesting here closer to the deadline. I do think that they would like to free up some of that money that they owe down the line to be able to put themselves in position to keep the guys they have there. And so um, I think that's kind of at the center of some of their talks here around uh, the trade deadline. And so, um, but listen, there's a rhythm to this week. And like what will happen is, you know, all the front offices, a lot of them are going to be in Indiana watching the tournament. Uh, Some GMs will go there. Some will be, they'll stay with their teams and, and watch it on television or have their staff be in and out of it over the next week. Um, It is complicated. It has complicated having the tournament um, with trade deadline, I think has made it. um, It's a little more harried for teams. You talk to them, but what will happen is they'll all watch the games on Sunday. They'll come into their offices on Monday and really look at their boards and see where, uh, where they want to start getting serious. What offers, they really believe are going to be on the table, you know, places they might want to make stronger offers are and then anticipating what other teams are going to come back with them at. They've been having these conversations in many cases for weeks and you have a sense of where, you know, a team might not be, you just know you haven't got maybe the best offer from a team yet. And so you're anticipating what that might look like. And, and that's why the trade deadline really starts Monday, Tuesday, and then all of a sudden, you know, you'll have a couple of deals, maybe Tuesday, Wednesday, and then Thursday, there'll be, you know, in the last three hours of trade deadline, there'll be 12 or 13 or 14 or 18 deals. And, you know, they'll come rapid fire. And that's how, you know, that's how this is this is going to play out.
1: Yeah. And and like you said, I mean, it, it, this year in particular, with the kind of the lack of guys on the market and, you know, a lot of these teams having kind of exhausted their, their moves already, you know, I, I think it's even more of a last second thing than usual because everybody kind of the marketplace is sort of set, right? I don't think we're gonna have a lot of maybe I'll be wrong. I mean we never know. Think things always change, but I think we kind of have the parameters of the guys that are out there and we sort of know, you know, who may or may not be available. And you know, everybody's kind of now got a week to really think about moves they want to make and decide what they want to do. And um, you know, a lot of times we have deadlines for a reason you get up to the deadline and then that's when you absolutely have to decide what to do and you know I think for a lot of these teams they're going to take as much time as they can to really decide which direction they want to go in a season where everybody's just been kind of hanging on for dear life as they try to navigate a pretty um, unprecedented situation all the way around from scouting the tournament to trade deadline to dealing with COVID protocols to you know, trying to make it through a 72 game season and, and get into the playoffs in May, June, and July. All
0: right. Let's get to the most important part of <laughs> the most important part of our week. One, one 45 PM Eastern Saturday from assembly hall in Bloomington. That's right. Our, our alma mater, St. Bonaventure, the ninth seed in the East region against a seeded LSU. Um, it's, I mean, let's be it's, it's a, it's really all either of us are thinking about right now. It's all, it's all I can focus on
1: really. I, I have, uh, I, I've, I've gotten many text messages about this, uh, all week about, uh, what people's predictions are and, uh, brackets and, uh, matchups. And yeah, it's, uh, it's been a really fun season. Uh, very excited for this game. Mark Schmidt, uh, got hired my senior year of school, uh, as I was leaving campus and, uh, Good things have happened ever since, and uh, it's, been, it's been awfully fun, and and hopefully it's going to be awfully fun past Saturday. Uh, we'll see what happens in this game. But I, I'm excited, and I'm uh, ready to watch us play.
0: I can't wait. I like our ability to be able to maybe get them into our game, get that game in the high 60s, low 70s. If we can just make a couple shots, take care of the ball, we'll be in it. Uh, hey, one other thing, Tim, our alma mater, St. Bonaventure, just announced in the last week the Jan Dooley School of Communication, where we both graduated from a new master's of arts and sports journalism program. And I would just tell everybody, students, whether you're just coming out as an undergrad or you're, you're looking to go back, listen, th- this is like a program for, for people who, who want to work in this industry. You could already be working or you, you want to go back and get that master's degree. But I know how strongly you feel about our journalism school and uh, Brian Moritz, who's going to lead that program. I- I'm excited for that. And I think you and I will both, and plenty of others that that we graduated with who are working in the industry, I know we're all going to be involved in that uh, program. Um, and so certainly you can go online at uh, sbu.edu and, and learn more about uh, that Master's of Arts in Sports Journalism at St. Bonaventure. But I know we're both pretty pumped about that too.
1: It's uh, this is something that has been talked about, I think, since I was in school as something that could potentially happen. And I think it's awesome that it has. I would not be in the position I'm in today without uh, you and Mike Vaccaro and the mentorship you gave me. And I'm very excited to be part of a program that is going to be able to give a lot of people a chance to do the same thing, because we've had a great journalism school that's pumped out a lot of talent for a long time, including a couple of the starters on our basketball team. Uh, right now, I'm proud to say, and uh, I'm uh, I'm very excited for for what is a, a very bright future ahead.
0: Yeah. And, that, and that's an online program. That's 100 percent online. So you don't have to you don't have to move to Olean, New York to get a master's from St. Bonaventure. But I might do it next year if we've got this whole team back. we got all five starters back next season. We'll have Coach Schmidt back. And I might just move to Olean, cover the Bonnies, take a sabbatical. And just do miracle, that next year
1: miracle, the miracle of Saint Bonaventure could be the sequel.
0: Yeah that, that's exactly what
1: <laughs>
0: that's exactly what it'll be except I'll be at the I'll be at the Burton bar um, for most most of the year. But uh Tim uh, great to catch up. I know we'll do our usual text chain during the uh tournament game on Saturday uh 145 but uh yeah trade deadline listen we'll be busy here in the next week and I appreciate you jumping in and, and walking us through uh, a bunch of that.
1: Thrilled to be here, and thanks for having me, and uh, go bonnies on Saturday.
0: Back here on the pod with Cassidy Hubberth, ESPN's NBA reporter. Cassidy, how are you?
2: I'm great, Woj. Happy to be back with you.
0: Yep, and good to have young uh, young Viv. <laughs> uh, saw her, heard her on the pod. She sang, she sang a little for us on the mic, and got to see her through the screen here so uh maybe she'll make a cameo here before we're done I, I hope we can hear her in the background somewhere
2: I mean I understood the obsession children had with frozen but now that I'm at the age where like she can really watch Frozen it is a full-blown obsession like they Disney knew what they were doing there and I guess since we are Disney employees I get let's keep it going the more more people buy frozen stuff I guess the better for us.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, you were last night uh, in Philly for our uh, the national game, the Bucks, Bucks Sixers game, and uh, you know Giannis took over in the overtime, and you know brought you know helped bring the Bucks back, and and all of a sudden it's funny the Bucks are now just a game and a half out in the East. You know Philly, you know Brooklyn has made up this, you know they've made up the distance on the Sixers, and you know Kevin Durant still probably a couple of weeks away feels like he's been a couple of weeks away from everything all season um, in and out of their lineup. Um, But I want to start, we're going to talk about the East Casp, but I want to start with, (laughs) I I really can't remember in recent history, maybe 2017 with Russell Westbrook in the year he won the MVP, but it's a pretty interesting MVP race, shortened season, 72 games. And it feels like every week, There's a new, a new favorite or a new narrative about who that is. And all of a sudden, like, look at the numbers and look at the season Giannis is having. Yeah. And, you know, Bobby Marks had put the numbers in context the other day. And in a lot of ways, Giannis is having his best season. And you would have said early, well, the team's not doing as well. But all of a sudden, now they pick up PJ Tucker. He'll be in their lineup moving forward. And, uh... You know, and I could just see Joel Embiid sitting there yesterday watching because he yep. wants In his Uggs, Ug slippers. Right.
2: He, I mean, he was looking real comfortable on this on the bench. What happened to the dress code, by the way? I mean, that just, that's no longer there. You can just roll it, up. Yeah, he was pandemic chic. That's for sure.
0: Yeah. Right. But, but all of a sudden, like you look at this MVP race, Cass, and it seems to reshape itself Not even by the week, but by the day, you know, Dame Lillard scores 50 and brings the Blazers back. And all of a sudden maybe the Blazers are going to get, as they're getting CJ McCollum back and Nurkic comes back and, and, and they, they, they've held their ground without those guys. And if they make a run in the West, um, you know, LeBron early, every we crowned LeBron early, James Harden, what he did in Indiana last night playing without Durant and, you know, 45, 15 and eight or 10, whatever he had, uh, there's not really, I just can't remember a year like this where you just feel like someone's going to win that award in the last 10 days of the season.
2: Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, kind of had we kind of talked about this um, off the pod is like usually the MVP conversation is tired, it's just such a like a go to thing we can talk about throughout the season when we're looking for a topic. But this year, it's legitimately like really fun every single week because. Look, I've had a lot of Eastern uh, Conference teams, and I've had a lot of Sixers games to start this season. Um, so I've, I've been able to see what Joel did um, the first half of the season up close and personal, which, you know, obviously not a lot of people have given that not, no one really was allowed in Wells Fargo Center before this past week. But, I, you know, he has been truly – uh dominant and healthy and worked on his conditioning and to me it was his mvp to lose after the first half and now like i can i can already hear lebron you know being like give me my damn respect too from the first half um and i think you know coming off of last season he is writing the narrative a little more of you know lebron can get an MVP award every single year and this is the year he deserves it if he's continuing to perform um at this stage in his game. So those those are the t- to me the two front runners of the first half. But now but now with Joel out for at least what three weeks because he's being reevaluated and you know for sure he's not going to be playing on, you know, the second night of a back-to-back um, you know, as we get back. So, you know, he's already missed seven games in the first half. So we start that starts to add up to like 24 games. And what's interesting is like, you know, the rookie of the year Malcolm Brogdon scenario starts to come into play where, mm-hmm. you know, can you give a guy who missed basically a third of the season um the award? And when we're talking about the MVP award, I think that that starts to get really tough, even if the Sixers are able to remain in that number one spot. And Tobias Harris actually said, like, this is a focus for us. Like we want to stay number one because we feel like that's going to help Joel's case. And I mean, some may argue like, will it, you know, does it actually emphasize that they need him? And so he is an MVP or like, I, so it's just, so the Philly alone and Joel's case, because he really wants it, as you say, um, is interesting. But I thought, like, last night with him gone and Giannis in Joel's home, making himself comfortable on the floor yeah, um, and pretty much, like, recapturing the spotlight, if you will. Like, I don't know how – I mean, it. I think his, like, MVP fatigue has been carrying over him all season because we haven't really been paying attention to him, I feel like. Yeah. Um, and then he wins, you know, All-Star MVP and when you start you start looking into his numbers, the uh, Bucks have rattled off 9 of 10, you're like I mean, can he really win a third straight MVP if, you know, the Bucks start to take over? But they have a really hard schedule the second half. I mean, they got they got to see Philly twice again and they're going to see Boston um it, it, so they, they're going to be challenged. And I guess that, that that may also be a way for him to catapult himself more in the MVP discussion, but I haven't even talked about anybody in the West yet. So you haven't, you've made a point about Dame. I don't think you can really pick an MVP off of the jazz because they work, you know, mm-hmm. kind of all together. Um, maybe the Clippers, if they start to make a run and you know, you can point to Kawhi, but it's really wide open. Jokic. But like yeah, I Nikola Jokic
0: has had. Yeah, he's Jokic has been tremendous. And listen, there should be uh listen, there should be an emphasis on it should be an advantage for you to win an MVP playing in the West because you are playing in the Superior Conference and that should be taken into consideration. There's a lot of factors, right, that you've got to take into consideration. I mean, but look, I mean, the East is.
2: Do we still think it's a superior conference? Is yes. it just because? What about the top heaviness of the East? So, like, what are you basically? What are your requirements in saying that like the West is so much better than the East? Um, because when you look at like who is the best team? Who who do you who's your your championship pick right now? Like, wouldn't you say the most talented team? And Jazz fans don't come for me. Would you got to point to to the Nets?
0: Well. You can try to poke some holes in how this might play out for the Nets. It's really hard to do. Yeah. Um, listen, if the three of them are playing, if Durant, Irving, and Harden are healthy and playing, I, I, it's hard to imagine someone's going to beat them four of seven. Uh, the Lakers, you know, with Anthony Davis and LeBron, certainly, um, Anthony getting back healthy. That, but the, I think the Laker team is, you know, one thing the Lakers miss is that the, the rim protection that they had last year with Dwight Howard and JaVale McGee, you know, you, you talk to teams and it was just so much harder playing them last season. And uh, I think that's why perhaps getting an Andre Drummond in the buyout market if Drummond ends up there uh, mm. is imperative for them. I think it, it certainly ha- shores them up in that area. You just have to see what it looks like for Anthony Davis coming back. But, I mean, listen, the the, the Hawks have won six games in a row in the East – and yes, the, the bottom of the
2: East is rough. The bottom right, piece and and
0: and they've and they're in sixth place. Like, I mean, they were just yeah, they just fired Lloyd Pierce. Oh. Nate McMillan's been great, and and I, I just think the depth of the West still remains a separator, uh, with the East. There's really, uh, I still think top to bottom, uh, I just think the top of pure... the
2: West is less secure than the top of the East, and maybe that's what I'm focused on because mm-hmm. we don't know what the injury is gonna you know, like how long the injury is going to linger for Anthony Davis, what that's going to mean. Um, We got to see how playoff battle tested Utah is going to be. um, And, you know, if they can perform on that level. And the Clippers, I think, are, you know, a big question mark. Like, can they put it together? I think they have. So I just think right now, as much as there are question marks about like, you know the Nets and the, and and them all working together. I still believe in that talent. And then with with Giannis, the way he's playing, I think PJ Tucker is an interesting add. Um, a little note about like the the news you broke yesterday about PJ Tucker. You know the Bucks' first half of that game was atrocious. I mean they scored the fourth best offense in in the league, scored 31 points. I mean they could not hit the side of a, you know, like a barn at all. Like they, it it was, it was a raw set basketball back a little bit yesterday. And Giannis, you know, he couldn't talk about the trade until, you know, it's official yada, yada, yada. But he did admit that like, he said, you know, it's just really weird showing up to work and not seeing your coworkers there. And um, so he, he essentially admitted to it just being kind of weird that they warmed up and then they, you know, uh the two DJs weren't there anymore. So it was just a little note just to add to your to your it, reporting well, um and put into context their weird start.
0: Yeah, and they were racing to get to those guys. The trade got agreed to. And selfishly I was just hoping they were going. I didn't want to I didn't want that to linger into the game. Um I was really hoping they were going to get to those guys before the game so so I could report it. Um yeah. before then I didn't want to have to wait and Thankfully, they got to those guys, and uh, the trade had been agreed to, and and so the two DJs head to Houston. But yeah, I think, yeah, the Bucks have been. I think listen, there's been an evolution in and Bud's style and how they wanted to play um, both sides of the ball. You know, defensively, they're doing some certainly some different things, and offensively, you know, they wanted to sort of try to balance that team out and not be. You know, you see Giannis's assists are up. You look at the numbers this uh-huh. year, and his assists are up, and and, uh, he has been, uh, I, I think what happens is, and Zach Lowe wrote about this recently and I, I don't vote for awards. I've just don't put myself, I just, I've decided years ago to not vote on awards, but
2: smart. Yeah. Cause it stresses me out. Like I get, I get a lot of anxiety, which I should, it's a big, it's a big responsibility, yeah. but I mean, it takes me days. Like I get, you know, um emails from Mark, like, are you filling out your your ballot? I go, just I got it. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll get it in by the deadline.
1: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, I wanted no part of it, but it is like human nature crops into it. And I think with Giannis, sometimes I imagine you're looking to eliminate because it's a, such a thin line comparing so many great players. And and I think with Giannis, I think people probably do take into consideration what happened in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. And the fact that you, you want to say, well, but, but, but you're not supposed to, and you're not supposed to anticipate what might, you're, you're, you're judging somebody on that year. And, you know, I think there's certain years where, hey, it's this guy's turn. You look in history and you saw, like, you know, Tim Dunk. I remember the year to first Jason Kidd comes to Brooklyn or comes to New Jersey, and, uh, it was a, 2000 and let's see 2000 and something early 2000s, and uh, you know Tim and Tim Duncan and it kind of felt like it was Tim Duncan's turn right and and Duncan wins the first of his MVPs and you know you look back in history Kobe won one MVP and LeBron hasn't won one since 2013 and sometimes you look back in history and go what were the voters doing that's insane they were the best players in the league then but then you break down the individual season and you say well. There was the case for this guy or why. And 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 it, it's really hard. And I I do think Harden is going to be assuming Durant comes back healthy and he plays. And uh, you know, certainly it's interesting. You hear Harden talk and he's like, Hey, I am when Kevin comes back, he's getting the ball again, and and I right. want him to average 30, 35 points a game. And you know, certainly James won't have to do the scoring he's doing. And when Kyrie doesn't play, you know what he did in Indiana last night. What he's done lately is awesome. I, I am curious if the first couple weeks, first few weeks in Houston, where, in the words of Draymond right. Green, right, we all saw him dog. You know he was dogging it, right? And like, does I mean, that is that what, held look against? At him? Right yeah. Look at
2: what Houston is right now. Look at what Houston is right now. So I, you know, I like, like you said, it's there's a lot of narrative. It's a very flawed system for voting because you know there's no clear criteria laid out for what mm-hmm. the MVP is. Other than we know the award is supposed to be most valuable player, but there's so many different definitions of value. Um, and we've seen, like you said, we've seen that in, um, you know, the different MVPs throughout the years. Like there was a little bit about, you know, Kevin Durant's MVP was look at him winning without Russell Westbrook, when he was out with his knee injury, like, look, you know, like he was over to overcome that look at Russell Westbrook, you know, like we got to give it to him because of, you know, the history he made in, in, um, averaging a triple double. And then again, like the two years after that, he still averaged a triple double We're like, all right, well, whatever, you know, that doesn't matter anymore. So it's just, it is a lot of in the moment, which is a human instinct, but I, I think, um, for an award that, you know, like really sets legacies, I think that's there and lies the flaw um, and why it's always so controversial.
0: Yeah. And and then like, how much does winning play into it, where you are in the standings? I think in recent memory, probably Westbrook was as far down as anybody who won it. I want to say Oklahoma city was a, were they a six seed that year? It was the year after Durant left. They made the playoffs in the West but but it was it was a tremendous accomplishment i think they were a six seed
1: um, and wait
2: and, and that year wasn't didn't Harden like was close to recording a triple mm-hmm. double to, uh, averaging a triple double too so it was just you know it, it was it was an odd year um yeah. I mean, I, like i i i get it in the moment we were like this is crazy to be able to you know um see someone average a triple double but I think it was also like the beginning of this new age. I mean, I think what was it? Last Saturday, we saw five people have triple doubles. <laughs> like it, uh, you know, it, it's just the the way the game is kind of played now um, with you know some of the stars and being kind of playmakers.
0: Yeah, and you mentioned Joel Embiid. Joel really, and I know Joel has studied not only who's won the MVP, but how their seasons played out, how many games they played, what they, I know he's taken a real look at it. And uh, I think there is some frustration here of, with this injury. How does it impact them? Uh, I don't think it's going to be a disqualifier. Uh, sometimes, you know, being uh, like, and I think LeBron wanting to play so many regular season games this year. And and then they've needed him to carry this load with Anthony yeah. Davis out um, but I, I, I think this is a year too, where I think LeBron heard the criticism in the past of, well, you know, he, here's this stretch of the regular season where he wasn't as dominant. Let's, we'll eliminate right. him out of it or, or where he was defensively, perhaps at certain parts of the year. And then LeBron has come out this year and has been, uh, dominant and, and, and playing, uh, at a high level, certainly on both ends of the ball and, uh, and listen, I, I just think you, you you're seeing a year where guys, it's really guys are really grinding for it, and that's going to be really interesting in the second half of the year where the schedule has congested. There's so many games congested into so few days. Yep. And teams are going to want to be really careful with making sure that their best players um, have a lot of gas in the tank left for the postseason. And I'll be curious how that factors into it.
2: Yeah. Well, on top of that, look, I've been talking to a lot of players and now while they're grateful for the career that they have playing basketball for a living, uh, making a lot of money, they are saying that this year they're, they're going through it. It's It's been mentally um, and physically straining, um, I think. A lot of us can attest to that. This mm-hmm. has been really, really hard. Um, this pandemic has been hard on a lot of people to say the very least. But when it comes to just, you know, the, these players are, are creatures of habit. Their routine uh, um, is is vital to, you know, longevity and endurance it, as far as not only the season, but their careers. And it's just a lot of players are having issues with not having practices, not having days off. Um, having to do testing in the morning and then, you know, not being able to get their extra work in because they can't get into the facilities until later in the afternoon. And I know p- people probably listening or probably bringing out their little violins, but all these things kind of stack up in this condensed season where, um, you don't really get the the hype of the crowd. So, you know, all these things add up on top of that, like there are a lot of players who contracted COVID and, um, you know, I spoke to Drew holiday yesterday and he's still dealing with it. He, he told me everything you've heard about it is true. I, I still am dealing with lingering effects. We've heard that from Jason Tatum, We've heard that from Josh Richardson. We've heard that from, um, a lot of other players who, who just feel like they've gone back to square one, um, you know, feeling like they're like off season workouts, trying to get back into shape. And then you plop them into, you know, four games and six nights or whatever, um, you know, we're going to, we're starting to see kind of a, effects of that. And it's just been, it's been a draining season. It's gonna. I think it's going to be interesting to see, you know, this, this race to the end here. Cause it's like you said, it's going to be compact.
0: Yeah. And it's no, it's a great point cast. And and I think what's going to really be interesting as we get into the second half of the year and then the playoffs and and Baxter Holmes reported last night about the leagues, and, and Adam Silver's talked about this, and and this was coming that you know they're going to relax, you know, a great deal of the from testing, uh, how many times a day you have to test, or when you have to quarantine uh, after you've had perhaps not having to quarantine anymore um, after having contact with somebody who might have COVID if you get the vaccine, and. You know, New Orleans players have done it. I think quietly. I think there's some other players in one-offs around the league who have who have gotten the vaccine. Uh, that mm-hmm. that's that was inevitable. Um, but as a group, I think they're allowing teams to handle it in their marketplace when the, their turn comes to go out and the guys who want to get it. But they, they, listen, they want guys to get vaccinated, and. Yeah
2: and we don't know the underlying conditions that people have people may have diabetes yep, or there's, asthma there's like
0: people, you can't
2: just assume because they're um you know uh, professional athletes they they're not eligible to get the vaccine right, right. Um, i know a lot of young people around me with, yeah exactly are vulnerable exactly
0: that that's exactly right and i do think that as players do get vaccinated and teams get vaccinated if teams are going to do it um as as a greater um on the whole, I think, I, I do think you're. You may see a correlation in the quality of play. I think is people the the mental strain. It's like anybody doing anything, but I think the mental strain of this is going to uh, be peeled back, and and it's and it's going to allow guys. I I, I do think you're going to see performance elevate. It's only natural, and
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, I, I think as we get closer to the playoffs and and as more players have the opportunity to get vaccinated teams do um, you know i think you you're you're gonna see that connect to the product and i think that's going to be you know whether it's in the mvp race or or just the overall quality of play I, I do you talk to teams about this and players and coaches it'll start to look better just like everything we're doing start will hopefully start to feel better look better and And I I think that's something – just keep your eye on as as we move further down the path and and vaccinations become more um, readily available to everybody.
2: It's not that we haven't seen fun performances um, in the first half. It's just, you know, I think um, it was interesting to watch the bubble last year. And, you know, that was – it was a unique environment. We saw a lot of guys thrive in that environment um, that, you know – you could maybe point out may not be like how they would naturally play in a, in a, um, normal quote unquote Mm -hmm. playoff environment, um, because of the seclusion and just, you know, a lot of people said it was like pick up basketball. Um, but it'd be interesting to see like, you know, like you said, how the, the release of things kind of getting back to, to normal. And also it's been a long cold winter, especially for those in the, uh, you know, uh, in the north uh, east here or Midwest, um, when it starts to get nicer and, you know, as, uh, president Biden said, you know, more and more people become eligible for, for, um, the vaccine and things start to open up and we're around playoffs, playoffs eking into July, you know, it's, it, and we have the the um, play in games like it's and this time the play in games where we're going to see more and more fans, more arenas are starting to allow more and more fans in. So, like, for instance, you know, the Sixers have the best home court advantage um, in in the league or best home record. And they hadn't even had fans into this last week. Um, and we, we, we saw, you know, them, the fans kind of help out. Um, or at least Tobias (laughs) in that game against the Knicks, where he yelled to the fans, "I'm an All Star," and this is something we talked about, which, like, I mean, he is Tobias is the nicest guy ever, and that was his trash talk. Like, people, like when you watch that back, I don't even think he swore in that. I think he just said, "I'm an All Star." And that, and that was his trash talk. But, you know, he said, like, the crowd, you know, like, revved him up. And I think playing in front of fans, we're going to see that a lot more. I mean, even New York. New York, I, I think – we. I, I didn't think we were going to see fans um, in New York given mm-hmm. the situation here. And, and like, they've brought back fans even before Philly did. So um, I think as we get closer and closer to the playoffs, we're going to see more and more fans, uh, which I think is also going to – have a huge impact on just the feeling of those games
0: No, absolutely it's going to be uh listen the mvp race uh the race in both conferences here um you know we're going to start to head to the home stretch we got trade deadline on thursday and tim bond temps are, are you that are you hydrated? a little hydrated? bit earlier i think we'll see some more movement here uh in league and we'll start to see teams reconfigure here for for the stretch drive
2: yeah are you hydrated are you ready I know you get asked these questions all the time, like how much did you sleep Lidge? Uh, but I mean, look, last night alone. Um, I mean, you like just before the game, maybe it was just such a flurry before the game with um, you know, all those moves, and we're still only what what are we a week away?
0: Or a week away. Yeah, a week, one week, one week from today. And yeah, I think you think there's you know, gonna be a
2: lot of movement?
0: Yeah, I think I think there'll be a lot of deals. They may not be consequential. Sometimes it's just moving off. I think. A lot of teams doing things around the edges and role players and getting off some money uh, ahead of uh, you know to get stay out of the tax or to fortify your bench. i I'm I really interested in Kyle move.
2: Lowry. Do you really think that he could get moved?
0: I think he could. I, I still think Toronto's going to give him a lot of voice and if he wants to be moved and where he would like to play, I know Messiah Jerry, He's not going to send Kyle Lowry to an outpost or a place that he, a team that would trade for his bird rights because they want to resign him that he doesn't have interest in being. And I think at this point in Kyle's career, uh, while, you know, listen, I think in free agency, whether it's re-signing in Toronto, which I, I don't know the feasibility of that moving forward on a long-term deal. Uh, I don't think it's out of the question you could do another short deal with him, but uh, I, I think Kyle's going to have a lot of voice in his future, just because of what he's meant to the Raptors and what he's meant to Masai and and Bobby Webster, that organization. Uh, I think that's going to go down the wire. I do. And so, um, yeah, but listen, I think uh, we'll see this thing take shape. And and then the MVP race, as we talked about, I think like every week we're going to, there's going to be a new case for somebody and it'll be an interesting vote, you know, by the end of the year. So, uh, Cass, it is uh, always great to catch up with you, and hopefully, one of these days, we'll we'll see each other in person again. As as the world starts coming back here,
2: yeah, it, uh, hopefully, hopefully. Like, I I, I miss my um, you know post game dinners or drinks. Like that's that's part of you know the fun of covering this league is being able to hang out with your friends and. Um, people around the NBA, but at least we have the Woj Pod to, co- to hang out and talk yep, about. Yep. I can MVP see you on
0: my laptop. Uh, <laughs> uh, say goodbye to that uh, beautiful young daughter of yours, Viv. And thank we'll, you. Hopefully we'll see you guys. Um, we'll see you guys all somewhere soon.
2: Thanks for having me, Woj.
0: Thanks for listening to this episode of the Woj Pod. A big thank you to our guests this week, ESPN's Tim Bontemps and Cassidy Hubbard. Be sure to listen to new and archived episodes of the WojPod wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to also listen to The Low Post with Zach Lowe and The Hoop Collective with Brian Windhorst. We'll catch you next time.